This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. We want to speak this morning from Hebrews, the 12th chapter, as you can see from the slide there. And we won't stray too far from these particular verses. We'll add another verse or two as we move along. <clears throat> but we want to look about at what the scripture, what this scripture teaches us about running or living the Christian life and, and how to do that with patient endurance. Before we read this text and, and begin our study, I, I want to take just a moment or two to <clears throat> set it in its context. It seems important to me, and I know it does to you also, that whenever we study the scripture, we need to always tie it into the context. The immediate context just surrounding the verse, the context of the letter, the context of the entire word of God, uh, wherever that's possible, and it always is. And that way we have a, a much more clearer understanding of how this passage uh, re what it means and how it relates to us. So if we think about the letter to the Hebrews, <clears throat> we understand, and I know you'll recall from your, your studies of Hebrews, uh, that this letter was written with a purpose in mind. As you read and study Hebrews, you, you discover that apparently there was, and I'm going to use the word tendency, although I think it was a whole lot more than a tendency, among the Hebrew Christians or those who had grown up uh, in the Jewish faith and according to the law of Moses had lived according to that law and they had begun to, begun to experience persecutions and tribulations and so there was a movement among at least some of them to turn loose of Christ and go back to the law. Now I don't know if that was something that was really taking place or that was just conversation about that and teaching perhaps about that and people talking about it. But for whatever reason, the writer of, of this uh, letter to the Hebrews uh, is intending to combat that tendency. So he's going to take all 13 chapters really to demonstrate and prove to them the superiority of Christ over Moses, over the law of Moses, the temple, the sacrifices, all of those things. So you, you recall that as Hebrews begins, he speaks about Jesus as being a better prophet. He says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners hath in times past spoken unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. And he goes on and says, whom he has appointed heir of all things or over all things, by whom he created all things. So Jesus was a better messenger or he is a better messenger than the prophets and then Moses. And then he just works his way through the various points that he wants to make in order to demonstrate the superiority of Christ. Jesus is a better priest. He's a better high priest. He doesn't, he's perfect, sinless, so he doesn't have to offer for his own sins. He's brought about a better covenant through his death and through his blood. It's a better covenant built on better promises, he says. He's a better high priest, better covenant, better promises. And he points out to them the impossibility of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. He said, if you can't go back, the law of Moses is done. It's been fulfilled. Those sacrifices are no, no longer did even what they did when th that law was in effect. And now that it's been taken out of the way, there's only one way to have your sins forgiven, 
and to be right with God, and that's to be washed in the blood of Jesus and to be in Christ. So that's the point or the purpose of, of the letter written to the Hebrews. Now, obviously, that's brought down very simply and concisely as it's possible for me to do. So at this point, the writer of the Hebrew letter is starting to make an application of those things that he said. You recall in Hebrews chapter 11, which a lot of times we refer to as the Hebrew Faith Hall of Fame, we, we are instructed about what faith does. And we see these men of old, Abraham, Noah, Abel, etc., who by faith did such and such. By faith Abel offered a better sacrifice, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And he talks about Abraham, Sarah, Moses, etc. And so he has been pointing out to them how what it was about these people, these heroes of the faith, that he wants them to think about when they consider turning loose of Jesus and going back to the law of Moses. Now one more point I want to make and then we'll read this text and, and start to take it apart. I don't suppose anyone here this morning was raised in the Jewish faith. I believe we're probably, we all grew up in Gentile homes and we uh, have never been a part of that Jewish system or lived under the law, subject to that law of Moses in, the, in any way. But all of us have come from somewhere, haven't we? Some of us have come from some pretty rough times and rough backgrounds, haven't we? A lot of us have done things that we're not real proud of and, and we have tried to forget and live past and live down and get over. But all of us have left something behind when we came to Christ. If nothing else, we left behind our, our own personal lordship. We were sitting on the throne of our hearts and our lives and we have surrendered that and we've left that behind or we're leaving it behind. And we should be. And so all of us are subject to the pull of whatever lies back there. These people thought they would have it easier if they turned loose of Jesus and went back to the law of Moses. Sometimes we think we'll have it easier if we just give up the fight. If we just stop trying. It would be easier just to go back and do those things and quit resisting and quit all of that strife and, and turmoil that sometimes walking with Christ brings. You know, we're not subject to intense persecution today like these folks were. They had lost property. They had lost lives. And in not too distant future, they would literally lose lives, be tortured and, and uh, put to death uh, by the Romans and by their fellow Jews. Now, we've not faced that as of this particular day. But all of us have a pull and a tug on us to turn loose of Jesus and go to the past. So what we're about to read here speaks to every human being. It spoke to those Jews, to Jewish, excuse me, Jewish Christians to which it was addressed, and it speaks to us. And it speaks to us of the need to persevere. And so, as the writer begins this particular section, he says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run, uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him 
uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction or hostility of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And I'm pointing out there at the end of that slide in the parentheses that the word patience is translated as endurance in the New King James Version. And the same word that's translated as patience here in the King James is then translated as endured and uh, endured again. Same, same Greek word translated in two different ways. And I won't try to delve into the minds of the translators to give you any input about why they did that. That was their, their decision. There was something in the, the nuances of that particular Greek word that they felt was better translated by the word patient. So what we're talking about this morning, and I'll try to get to it, is patient endurance. If you examine that word, and I'm not going to get off into a big discussion of the definition of that particular Greek word. If you're interested in that sort of in that, well, find you a good lexicon and, and study that out. There's a lot of nuances in that word. It means to be, it was used to speak of being steadfast and all sorts of things. So best translated in English is patience or endurance or even patient endurance. And that's what we're talking about today. When you think about the Christian life and you compare it to a race like the rider is doing, then the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash or a 100-meter or whatever they are today. It's been a long time since I ran any sort of a dash, and it'll probably be a, quite a while longer before I run any sort of a dash. But the Christian life, is, it's a marathon, isn't it? It's a marathon. Sometimes it's up hills, around curves. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes the wind's against you. Sometimes it's pouring down rain and storming. And other days, it's perfect. You've got a tailwind at 70 degrees on level ground. But it is not a sprint. And so it takes endurance. And I've noticed this, and I know you have too, when the Scripture gives us an exhortation, a commandment, if you will, then the Scripture always gives us information about how to apply that commandment commandment so when the writer says run with patience or run with endurance he tells us exactly how to do that right within the framework of this text the words of these verses tell us how we can run with endurance so that's what we want to pay attention to this morning and see if we can understand and apply these principles in our lives in order for us to be enabled to endure in running the Christian uh, race. The first point that is made tells us that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He says, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So the first thing we have to do in order to run with endurance is we got to listen to the witness testimony because it's important. The writer of Hebrews was inspired to direct our attention to the cloud of witnesses that compasses us about. And so there's a lesson to be learned from the testimony of those witnesses. And their testimony speaks to us of patient endurance, of how they did that. Now he says we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So that tells me that you and I, we are surrounded at every point of the compass, there is a witness and a testimony to be heard. 
<clears throat> now, sometimes I overthink things. Elizabeth will tell you that when I said, you know, I've really thought about this a lot, that that means you might want to stand by. And I've thought about this a lot, so you might want to stand by. But when you think about a compass and being compassed about or surrounded by witnesses, if you think about a compass, think about that compass you used to have. Now we all got GPS in our cars and we can't hardly find our way anywhere. But that compass, the dial of the compass, <clears throat> has the four cardinal points or directions uh, marked on the dial, doesn't it? So it has north, south, east, and west. And also on most compasses, it'll have the quarter points marked there. So it'll have northeast, southeast, uh, northwest, southwest marked also. But if you look closely and in reality, that compass represents basically an infinite number of points that surround, that make up the circle of that dial. So there's not only is there northeast, there's north-northeast, there's quarter points and eighth points and all sorts of, an infinite number of points. So when we think about this cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by them. So if you visualize that compass, there is nowhere you can lift your eyes and look to that there is not a witness with a testimony, testimony <coughs> excuse me, that you need to hear and that I need to hear. So the writer is inspired to tell us this, to make this point. So if we're going to run with endurance at times, we're going to need some encouragement, aren't we? And we are compassed about, we're surrounded with this cloud of witnesses. Anywhere you could look, there's going to be a witness because that compass is an infinite number of points, okay? Now, that may not seem like much, but when you think about it, when you're really struggling with something, when there's a situation in your life, perhaps with your health or with your family or with life in general, that is making it difficult for you to hold on to your faith and to continue to run this Christian race, then we need encouragement, don't we? Not only do we need the encouragement that we can gain from those who are sharing the race with us at this particular moment in time, but there is great encouragement in looking to that cloud of witnesses, isn't there? Now, the, the writer here has already talked about a number of those, and we mentioned that if we just flip back to Hebrews chapter 11, and he starts off with uh, Abel, uh, with uh, uh, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, etc., and then Moses, and then just a number of people who aren't named but who endured all of these things. So specifically, those are witnesses that have a testimony, aren't they? Those are the witnesses that are speaking to us with a valuable testimony. Hebrews 10 and 39 says, But we're not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And then the entire 11th chapter really is a fleshing out of that statement. He's going to demonstrate to us <clears throat> a number of examples of those who believe to the saving of the soul. <clears throat> and so specifically within the framework of this text, that's who he's talking about. So it's people who, through their faith, they left behind a testimony of endurance through faith, and that demonstrated by obedience. So just flip back to Hebrews 11 uh, for a moment or two if you want to, and just read that quickly. 
Abel, though he's dead, still speaks. Jacob, when he was older, worshipped leaning on his staff. Now there's an encouraging sight, isn't it? Jacob, who had all the troubles, the aches and pains that old age was bringing, but he was still able to worship leaning on his staff. And that's an encouragement, an encouraging testimony, isn't it? So we need to be listening to the witness testimony. And that testimony is basically saying this, hold on to your faith, keep putting one foot in front of the other, continue to persevere, and things will be all right. Now that trial and that difficulty is not going to magically disappear. And sometimes life is so full of trials and difficulties and they don't end until we leave this life. But we can persevere, we can run with patience, and one of the ways that we're able to do that or enabled to do that effectively is simply by listening to the witness testimony. Another point or two before we move on. This is an ever-expanding cloud. Abel has a testimony, and, and the writer says, though he's dead, he still speaks. All of those people that are specifically named were long dead when the Hebrew writer was inspired to write about them and call our attention to them. I believe that cloud is always expanding. It expands and a, and a, and a new voice and a new testimony is added every time a faithful disciple leaves this earth. Every time a faithful disciple lays aside the tabernacle of flesh and enters that eternity, then a new testimony is added to that cloud of witnesses. So as we sit in this building this morning, and as I look out here, I see that there are some faces that are not here, that were here the last time I was here. And those people have added their voice and their testimony to the cloud of witnesses surrounding us and surrounding you. And so within your mind and your memory, there are people who testify to you of just what we're talking about. They are people who held on to their faith with both hands. They gripped it hard and they never released it. And they lived through all kinds of trials and difficulties just like all of us do. And they persevered and they laid down their flesh and they went to be with the Lord. And so they have a testimony, and their testimony is a patient endurance demonstrated by their obedience. So they walked with Jesus. No matter what it cost, no matter what obstacle or trial was in their way, they walked with Jesus, and now when we lift up our eyes and open our ears to hear that testimony, then we hear the testimony of Brother Joe Duke. We hear the testimony of Sister so-and-so. And a brother so-and-so. And so all of us are surrounded by personal testimonies, witnesses that testify and speak to us because of the relationships that we've had. And so it seems to me that one of the points of this Christian life or a, a laudable goal of being a Christian is to live in such a way that when you die, your testimony is added to that great cloud of witnesses. And when people call you to mind and the life that you live and the example that you were, they are encouraged and strengthened in their walk with Christ. And I do not want to be, and I know you do not want to be, a person who has the opposite kind of testimony. 
that when people call you to mind, they think, oh, my goodness. If he made it to heaven, it was by the skin of his teeth and the grace of God. So we need to live in such a way that when we pass from this life and people call us to mind, that we are a part of that testimony and that we, in our life, in our example, join their testimony in exhorting us to endure. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, believe it or not, and you probably will find this hard to believe, I'll step out here where you can get a good look at this fine form that I occupy today. This guy used to could run a minimum, I ran 30, 40 miles a week. On the weekend, I thought it was fun to go out and run 10 miles. So I would run 10 miles on Saturday, maybe 10 or 15 on Sunday. <clears throat> I didn't look like this then. I'm sorry, something has happened to me. I married a good cook. I quit a lot of stuff. But I can tell you for a fact, I couldn't run from here to the foyer this morning. I, got, I would I need to lay aside a whole lot of weight because you can't run and carry extra weight. Have you ever noticed that when people are competing in some kind of a running event, they have on as little an amount of clothing as they can possibly get by with, and you don't see anybody strapping weights around their waist. Now, I have seen people put them around their ankles when they're retraining, but when you're running and competing in a race and you want to be a winner, you don't carry extra weight into that race. You lay it aside. You take it off. You get rid of it. So in order for me to be able to physically, literally run, I, I got to lose about 100 pounds at least. And then I might be able to run. And so when we think about this, this is really a very common sense statement, isn't it? Like a lot of scripture. This writer is inspired to tell us something that is just so common sense and so true that we get it. Lay aside every weight, he says. And sin which doth so easily beset us. So there's, a, there's some truth about sin and the truth is it easily besets us. And it is sin in general that easily besets us in general. Now, some of us, we may have a weakness here that others don't have or a weakness there. And some people are more subject to some particular sins than others. But the simple truth is sin in general besets us in general. We all struggle against it. We try not to be overcome by it. And we fail from time to time. But as we run this race and lay aside the weight and lay aside that sin, then it gets easier, doesn't it? Or it should. And if it's not getting easier, then maybe we haven't really laid it aside. We're still carrying it. There's still that weight. So sin has a weight, and we need to lay it aside. If we think the Scriptures teach about this and speak of it in a number of ways, James, in James 1 and verse 21, 1 Peter 2 and 1, both of them use the language lay aside, lay aside all. And James says filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, or overflow of wickedness, malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. So we get these lists at times. And what we realize about these lists is they're not com totally complete. So things that are like these things are things we need to lay aside. So James and Peter both use that same language, lay aside, 
In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul uses the terminology put off. Put off the old man and put on the new man. Put off stealing and get a job. Put off lying and tell the truth. So we're to lay aside and we're to put off. And you'll notice that these lists, these are all things that are fairly obviously sinful, aren't they? So we know if somebody's acting hypocritically, that's sinful. And we ought not to be a hypocrite or act in a hypocritical way. And if somebody has envy, we understand that's sinful. So when we think about sin, it's easily identified, especially when we're thinking about somebody else's sin. You know, it's real easy for me to look out at y'all and go, oh my, look at that. Look what they're doing. But see, when I think about myself and look at myself, I've figured out ways why the things that I do that you're doing, and when you do them, I recognize them as sin. When I do them, I have an explanation for it. And it allows me to rationalize it and call it something else. Okay? I wish that that was really true. But sin is sin, whether I'm doing it or you're doing it. Some of us just get to be experts at explaining it away, at rationalizing it, at holding it out here at arm's length. But the simple truth is we all know what it is, and we, for the most part, understand and realize when we commit it. Okay, so we need to lay that aside. We need to put it off. And when you think about the image that the words lay aside and put off brings to mind, that means I'm going to carry it, I'm going to put it over here on the side of the road. And I'm going to keep running. Because in order to run, I've got to get rid of this weight. So I'm going to pile it all up over here. I'm going to take it off. I'm going to put it over there. And then I'm going to go on without it, aren't I? Now, it doesn't make much sense if I take it off and I take a few steps and go, oh, jeez, I, I think I'll get that. And I reach over and I pick up some of that sin, some of that weight, and I put it back on. I say, yeah, I can probably run pretty good just carrying this. And that's kind of how life goes sometimes, isn't it? We lay it aside, we run a little bit, we pick it back up, we think, oh, I can carry it, and we run a little bit further, we realize, no, no, i got to lay it down, so we lay it again, take a few more steps, boy, it's still pulling, still talking to us, we reach back to get it. But the truth is, until you lay it aside, until you leave it on the side of the road, wherever you put it, wherever you cast it into the bottom of the sea, remove it as far as the east is from the west. Whatever you do with it, if you keep picking it up, you're not going to be able to run and you won't be able to endure in the race that is the Christian life. So you've got to put it off. You've got to get rid of it. Lay it aside and move on. Hebrews 10 says, uh, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So here's the motivation for enduring and for putting off those things, laying them aside, because there's a promise. And that promise is a better promise than was available to those who were under the law of Moses. Now, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 13. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, 
not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So that's plain speaking, isn't it? So we're not, we're not of the darkness. We're to put on the armor of light. We're to cast off the works of darkness. So all those things that are described previously, those are all works of darkness. So cast them off. Lay them aside. Put them off. Put on the armor of light so that you can then walk and run with endurance the race that is set before us. So one more point before we move on. All activities in, in our lives, everything that we do has a weight. And I would say that that weight is the value we replace on whatever activity it is uh, that we're doing. And sometimes activities or things that we choose to do are not in and of themselves sinful. They're not works of darkness necessarily. But the weight, the value, the priority that we place upon them cause them to be weights that need to be laid aside. Okay? So sometimes we can get so attached to our leisure activities, our weekend pursuits, and we place such importance on it and such value on it that it takes on a weight within our lives that is keeping us from really being able to run with patient endurance the race set before us because we've just made it so valuable. Now, what ought to weigh five pounds weighs 500 pounds because we've given it such a priority and so much importance and we devote ourselves to it, to, to the exclusion of what we ought to be devoting ourselves to. And so that becomes then something we need to lay aside. You know, there's nothing wrong with playing golf or going fishing, or going to the lake, water skiing, whatever it is that people like to do in their leisure time. But the problem is, is when playing golf and going fishing, going to the lake, water skiing, going to the mountains, whatever it is, becomes so important to you that you begin to ascribe so much value to it that it causes you to make decisions that are not in the best interest of your spiritual life. And perhaps all of us have been there and have wrestled with some of these things. So we have to not only look at the things that are in our life that are obviously sin and works of darkness, but things that we have attached so much importance to, given so much weight, that they are keeping us from being able to run uh, with endurance. And then those things have got to be laid aside. You've got to bring that importance level down. You've got to return that to the five-pound weight or the two-pound weight. And give true weight and value to the things which are true and valuable. And understand how all of these things and all of these choices impact our spiritual well-being. And not ours only, but those of our family, our brothers and sisters, friends, neighbors, etc. So, lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. Probably the most important thing that we can do is this particular statement. The writer says, look unto Jesus. And he goes on a, a few words later and says, consider him. So he says, look unto Jesus. Don't just look at him. Don't just go, oh yeah, there's Jesus. But consider him, he says. 
And I personally believe that this is, if you're not going to do anything else that I've talked about, if you do this, you will automatically do what I just talked about because you can't look at Jesus and consider him and keep carrying all that sin and all that baggage and all that weight. Looking at him and considering him is going to cause you to put that to one side. If, if you look at him honestly, look at him on the cross. Look at him hanging there. He's got blood pouring out all, from all over his body. He's wounded and beaten and nailed to the cross. And he paid for what you are picking back up from the pile you've laid aside. He paid for it. So when you look to him and you really look at him and consider him, then you're going to leave that right there. He paid for it. You've already added to the weight that he bore. Don't pick it up and make it worse. So when we look to Jesus, then we can lay aside those things. We're empowered to do that. When we look to Jesus, we're listening to the ultimate witness testimony of patient endurance, aren't we? Now listen to what the writer says about Jesus. He says he's the author and the finisher of our faith, or he's the alpha and the omega. He's the, the originator of it and the completer of our faith. And he demonstrated it in his life in every way, but especially as he came to the cross. Now he says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured. So Jesus, there was some motivation there that helped Jesus to endure the cross. The writer describes it as joy set before him. He endured the cross. And not only did he endure it, but he says he uh, endured contradiction, hostility of sinners against himself. He despised the shame. So when we look at the totality of that statement, then for the joy set before him, he endured. And his endurance was he endured the cross. He endured the hostility of sinners against himself. He despised the shame of being hung on the cross and suffering for the sins of mankind, becoming sin. Uh, as the scriptures teach. And he did that because of the joy that was set before him. So as Jesus knelt in the garden of Gethsemane and prayed so fervently that that cup might pass from him, you remember that he says, not my will, but thine be done. Now that was faith being demonstrated by obedience. That was patient endurance. He did not want to experience the cross. He didn't want to experience the physical suffering. He didn't want to experience, experience the spiritual suffering or the emotional suffering or anything about it. And he said, Father, if there's another way to achieve what we're trying to achieve here, can we do it that way? But not my will, but thine be done. Okay, so there was joy set before Jesus that enabled him to endure the cross and to despise the shame of the cross. So there was shame that he felt knowing that he was going to be made a curse. Scriptures say cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He became that curse for us. Apostle Paul teaches us. He despised that shame for the joy that was set before him. We you know we all need something to motivate us, don't we? We all need that motivation to do whatever it is that we need to do. So Jesus had some motivation. He understood the plan, and he understood the joy that fulfilling that plan would bring. So when Jesus was 
standing in the garden, kneeling in the garden, praying, there was joy set before him. And I suppose he put his mind on that joy, the joy of, the, of salvation that would be achieved when he bled and died. So there was joy, and that joy caused him to be able to endure. Now, when we face those times, and we all do, we face times where we have to endure, we need to look at the joy that's set before us. Isn't that what that previous slide, the scripture in chapter 10 said? There's a promise, he says. So don't turn loose of Christ, because if you turn loose, you don't receive that promise. But if you endure, you receive that promise. So there's joy set before us this morning. And that joy is the joy of the everlasting kingdom that we now presently are a part of. We don't see it in its fullness and its completeness, but we soon will. Because one by one, each of us will lay aside this robe of flesh and we'll rise and we'll meet and we'll enter eternity and we'll know the fullness and the reality of the kingdom which we now only know as a shadow and vaguely. But there's joy set before us. And that joy enables us, it empowers us. And when we take our minds off our problems and off the difficulty and the challenges and the sorrows and the victories and the joys, and we put them on Jesus and we consider him and we consider the joy, then I believe we can keep running this race. We can keep putting one foot in front of the others. And now Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Someday we'll be called into the presence of our Savior and our Creator and experience the joy of assembling around that throne. Final point. You've got to run the race that is set before us. That would be nice if everybody had the same smooth race course, wouldn't it? If everybody's race course was on a beautiful day, blue skies, as I described earlier, about 70 degrees, tailwind, perfectly level ground. You're just out there in the springtime of health and, and youth and just running along like you could run forever. But unfortunately, that's not the way this race course is, is it? No. I'm looking at people, you know what I'm talking about. This race course is full of hills. It's full of heat and humidity. It's full of cold winds and cold rains. It's full of blind curves. It's full of all sorts of things that cause us to have to endure. You know, we don't use that word endure about things that are just happy-go-lucky, do we? Nobody says, oh, I'm so excited to go to the dentist. Well, maybe, maybe David Minson does. I don't know. But most of us think of a visit to the dentist as something we got to endure because it's just not that pleasant. And so when we are running the course and the course is tough, then we have to endure. And we all know that life is full of days that are a tough course, hard to get through. But we've got to run that race. And sometimes we have a tendency to, as we're running along, we're looking over at the other guy. I'm looking over at Chance's race course. 
And I'm going, oh, chance. Man, he's got the smooth level ground. I'm over here running uphill at about 80 degrees, and it's 110 and 1,000% humidity. And the wind's blowing against me. And Chase is just smooth out, pacing down through there. Well, usually what we don't see is that the next day, Chase is on the same, Chance is on the same course uh, I've been running on. Obviously, my course is, suffers from a deficiency of memory uh, because that is Chance, not Chase. <laughs> but you get my point, and I'll shut up about that. We all got a course. We all got to run it. Some days it's tough. Some days it's not. And if you look with envy on your brother or your sister's course, then you just need to hang around and watch because the next day or two it's going to get tougher on them. We're all in it together. It's a marathon. And we all want to be able to come to the end of our life and be able to say with the Apostle Paul that we have fought a good fight. We have finished the course. We've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me on that day and not for me only but also unto all those that love his appearing so there's a choice that we have we can be wearied and faint in our minds or we can persevere we can run with patient endurance and we'll be able to better do that if we'll just listen to the witness testimony lay aside every weight sin that doth so easily beset us if we will look to Jesus and consider him and if we'll just keep running you know I noticed in those days when I could run in that long ago time that when they shot that little pistol off the only people that really ran the race were the ones that took off if you just stayed hunkered down there and you didn't move you didn't get a prize at the end you know, every race I run, I got some kind of an award, mostly for being the slowest guy there. But had I not taken off when that gun was fired, I wouldn't have got anything except ridicule. It would have given people a lot to laugh about. So this that we're talking about this morning, you got to run the race. And this race, the race of the Christian life, begins by being washed in the blood of Christ. And so this morning, you can begin that race if you've not been washed in his blood. And it's going to begin with just a few steps. You're going to step out from wherever you are in this auditorium. You're going to step into one of these aisles, and you're going to take the first steps of a new life. And those are the steps that will lead you right down here to this front row where these brothers will help you to be washed in the blood of Christ. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.